0: Don't you wish there was a better way to share music than sending a silly screenshot to your friends on text with earbuds. Now there is earbuds makes music social by allowing you to broadcast your music in real time to your friends. The best part is that it's completely free. You just need an Apple music or Spotify premium account, download earbuds now and sample the awesomeness that is broadcasting your music. Cause you can just send it out to your friends. Be like, yo, check this out. I'm listening to this. It is the best way to share music as far as I'm concerned. I love it so much. Thank you, earbuds, for the support. Now, here's the show. Hello, everybody. How are you today on this beautiful Wednesday, wherever you may be located, whether that's in Japan, whether that's in the United States of America, I hope it's going well for you. I'm Ray Harkins. You're hanging out with 100 Words or Less, the podcast. You're hanging out with me. You're hanging out with our guest. You're hanging out with people who love this whole independent music scene, whether it's punk Indie rock, hardcore, whatever it is that you define as that, I'm loosely defining it as the those genres, as it were, because, you know, I mean, I'm just not steeped in the world of, uh, you know, independent hip hop as uh, other people are. But uh, actually, I'm going to I'm going to dip my toe into that world a little bit as far as the whole, uh, you know, SoundCloud rap thing as of late, because there is uh, such a crossover with, uh, you know, hardcore and punk kids doing that whole thing. But anyways, I digress. That's not why we're here. We're here to talk to Chris Papadoc from Hawthorne Heights. And he also plays in a band called The Story Changes, who recently released a record that is very, very good. Um, Chris has been, uh, frankly, came in my orbit because uh, he was a fan of the podcast. And I got to know him a little bit. We started trading emails and uh, just a great guy and super enthusiastic about uh, you know music and life. And uh, I just hung out with him recently uh when i was in cincinnati and it was awesome it was so much fun to be able to go to record stores with him grab some dinner and i just uh, sometimes i forget how much fun it is to hang out with people I know, like, as an adult, that's, you know, that it just becomes less and less because you don't have enough time. You know, you're hanging out with your family. You've got all these other obligations. And I don't mean to say that all these other obligations make uh, – aren't fun because they clearly are. And I'm happy to be doing them. But, yeah, just to be able to hang, you know, hang with uh, with no other reason other than just hanging. It was really nice. but. Um, more on Chris in a few moments. Of course, I'm going to tell you about rockabilly.com, the only place that you should purchase band merch on the internet, as far as I'm concerned, and use the code PCJabberJaw that gets you 10% off of your order. PCJabberJaw, please use that. They have so much stuff that you could possibly want there, from long sleeves to, you know... I actually would venture a guess. I haven't looked, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, they probably have some swim trunks on there because, you know, it's getting summertime and, uh, you know, clearly they're going to have tank tops. They're going to have all of your summer attire needs there and you will be able to meet them and order them and save 10% off by using that code PCJobberJaw. So many items, great customer service, fast shipping, independently run business, like everything that I could possibly like about the company. Um it's just, it it all lines up. So please order from rockabilly.com. I love them very much and I love their continued support of this podcast. So thank you for that. Uh, What's been happening with me? Well, next week or yeah, I'll be on vacation, but I'll be still, still be getting you an episode. So don't you worry your pretty little head about that. I'll be in a Tahoe. I'm actually trying to meet up with a person to do an episode up there which uh, i don't want to reveal a person because in case it doesn't happen but um yeah so it'll be nice to be able to uh, get away with the fam and and just just chill for a minute it'll be up in uh, the lake tahoe area Um, i don't really know what to do up there per se (laughs) i think it's just gonna be a lot of relaxing and you know maybe venturing into reno to you know hang out with uh, some friends and you know eat some good food and stuff like that but it'll be a lot of hanging which i'm looking forward to And, um, yeah, that's all I got from that. But like I said, Chris, so many of you may have an opinion of Hawthorne Knights because you have either, uh, you know, been aware of them because they are a massive band and they, you know, kind of broke through in the, I'd say mid two thousands and were a surprise to everybody to be able to sell like, you know, a million plus records as far as like, oh, wow, where did this band come from? But, um, they're hardworking individuals. They are a very independent minded band. You know, they screen their own shirts, like there's so many things that uh you know just a passing glance at this band would not reveal and then when you do just you know a little bit of research you're just like Oh, no, like they're, they're the real deal. And they put in the work. Um, and Chris is just a very emblematic of that. And I think that, uh, our conversation reveals that in many different ways. Like he's got a, uh, he's got a kid. He claims straight edge as an adult. There's so many things that are unique to him and uh, his experience. So I wanted to dive in and plus he, he's, he, he's an adult and like he, <laughs> he's in my opinion, he's got a good perspective on things. So anyways, this is Chris and I will talk to you as I always do after the episode. The thing that really struck me uh, about you, because, you know, prior to us existing alongside of one another on the Internet, I, you know, wasn't familiar with you until we, you know, started corresponding about, you know, the podcast. And then I, you know, knew you played drums in Hawthorne Heights. And um, but the thing that I really, really kind of, you know, appreciated and admired about you was the fact that you uh, not only do you support the things that you like but you like really dive deep into that support in ways that, you know, frankly, uh, y- y- like children usually do, you know, like, like kids when they first get into something, they're like so excited. And, you know, they can't wait to tell everybody about it. Um, but you being an older person, uh, I mean, I define myself as old. So you get included in that category as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> y- your, your enthusiasm, I don't know, it just kind of uh, it, I don't I don't really sense that enthusiasm kind of across the board. Um, from people, you know, whatever, of all ages. But um, I don't know, do you kind of notice that about yourself? Or am I like, you know, completely wild in that observation?
1: (laughs) No, you're right. But let me like, okay, so like, look at yourself, like, I think all of us that are kind of involved in this punk and hardcore and whatever the music scene or the subculture that we're in, I kind of think that we all have that. And I think that's why it works for us. But there is something really cool about, yeah, being in your mid forties and still being excited about, I don't know, like a guy who makes his living by making t-shirts in his garage. And it's just like, yes, it's so cool. It's just cool to see like a grown individuals doing their thing and making that their thing. Like that's their lives. And that's like, they do it for fun, but they do it for their livelihood, and and I just really like to support that as a whole. And you know, I'm a child. Right. I think, that's, I think we're all kids, right?
0: I mean, there there does. I, I try to really. I, I don't disagree with you. I try to frame that in my head of like you know the the concept that we all are you know excited children in this thing, and you know we all feel like we're doing adult things, but we still feel like we're the, you know, whatever, 18 year old person just getting into the thing or whatever. But Mm. I try to reflect on like, okay, like, do my parents feel that, you know, like, do they feel that they're, you know, whatever my parents are, you know, late sixties, early seventies. And like, does my mom feel like she's like 35 mentally? You know, she still feels like, you know, an excited, (laughs) excitable young person. And I do, and I'm like, and I don't want to fall in that trap of like the whole Peter Pan syndrome of like, oh yeah, well everything used to be good when this was happening, and like that, you know, you like you don't grow as a person when you are just, you know, this this child forever, you know, because I'm sure you think about that.
1: True, actually, I've never really thought about it like that, but but you're correct. I can say that I talked to my mom about this recently, and I was like. Okay, okay, it's like, D- do you really feel your age? And she was like, not mentally. And I was like, okay, cool. Cause I was like, when I think about her in her forties and I'm like, oh, you know, it's my mom. She's, you know, she's older whatever. But like, she told me that she never felt her age. So I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe as we get older, we really don't mentally, I guess it depends what our lives are like though. Cause I mean, You see, you see somebody who's, you know, maybe five years younger than you and they just look much older. They look worn down. They don't look happy. So maybe it's just how we're living our lives and the things that we have. I don't know. It's, it's really about your mindset, but yeah, you're right. If you don't kind of take stock in the fact that you're getting older, you're, you know, and like, Oh, I have to think about things differently now. Um, but really, like, I think what it comes back to me is um, I have a kid, you know, I have it. well, he's almost 18. But like, so I got to kind of redo everything because he's involved in this music scene as well. So that's kind of where all that spark came for me. I think that helped anyway. But
0: that's true. That's that, cool. Yeah, I, I could see where you're talking about it when you, you know, I mean, every parent uh, or, you know, if you are saddled with the responsibility of, you know, like taking care of like nieces and nephews. Like when you see the world through a child's eyes of the uh, not only the excitement and discovery that can um, reignite your own passion for whatever it is, whether it's like, oh, yeah, actually, you know, what, Disney is pretty great or like, you know, whatever, like these movies and all these these artifacts of your your childhood can get unearthed and uh, revitalized because of that.
1: Of course, even if it's not something that you're entirely into, just seeing a child, you know, just their excitement for something, I think it's really it really does give you this, I don't know, it puts off this this whatever. it puts off something that you you're an idiot not to pick up on. I mean, and if you don't pick up on it, you know, maybe I don't know, i mean, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with you, but like, how could you not like, just take all that in and just apply it to yourself.
0: That is a good point. I do think that there is that element of, and I, I you know, I, I always try to make sure that I'm not viewing you know, our experience within the context of this music scene through rose colored glasses and like, you know, oh, this is the best thing ever, even though, you know, it is the best thing ever. And we we all know that, but like, you know, using a random example of like when your kid gets into something that, you know, it's like, you know, Paw Patrol or like anything that's like, you know, clearly not meant for an adult, but like a child is consuming and, you know, you're watching it alongside of them. And, the idea of like getting to know what your kid is into where it's like oh yeah like i know every single paw patrol character i'm like oh yeah i know everest and you know like and then but then talking to other parents like they don't have that same attention to it's not even attention to detail but i don't know that same trigger that is like oh yeah like i i don't know any of the like i barely know what my kid is like watching or consuming because i'm either not paying attention to it or busy and I don't know I I, that is something that's stuck in my head where I'm like yeah I know all of my friends that are of the same cut from the same cloth as you and I are like we all pay attention to that stuff in like obsessive detail you know
1: and and that goes back to like every interview we you know we hear we we talk about it's like we went through the backs of the albums and we went through the lyric sheets and we read everything and we took it all in. We just haven't stopped doing that yet.
0: That's that's yeah. Cool. No, that's that's very true. That's that's true. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll pontificate on that a little bit later. But the uh, the you know you as an individual uh, because there is not much sort of a biographical information about you um, as far as like you know your your upbringing, where you were born, and that sort of stuff. I I'm going to presume that you are kind of a, a Midwest born and bred dude. But correct me
1: if I'm wrong. No, I was born in Ohio, small town in Ohio. I've kind of lived in Ohio most of my life, but born in these really. You know, born in a small town, moved to a a small, another small town and spent the first 16 years of my life um, like two hours east of Columbus, Ohio. I mean, you know, nothing around. Cleveland was probably two hours away. Mm -hmm. Cincinnati was five hours away. Um, And then um, and then I moved closer to Cincinnati when I was 16. So but yeah, an Ohio kid, Midwest guy
0: do you have the, uh, because I mean, most people when they close their eyes and think of a stereotypical Midwestern person, like, uh, you know, my stepfather's from the Midwest. And so like, he's a, a great dude, love him to death, but like, isn't comfortable, uh, talking about emotions. Like, isn't the sort of person that is like, you know, immediately warm and inviting. Like, I, I know you don't fall into those categories, but like, you know, do you see that kind of, uh, I guess, typified in your growing up experience?
1: Um, I mean, yeah. I think I had that like normal Midwest upbringing, but I was, I don't think I was meant to have been born there or, you know, raised there. Like the moment that like I was, it was like, oh, we're moving closer to a city, perfect. Because I, you know, I lived in essentially like not like farm communities or anything like that, but just these little tiny towns that had nothing and, and still have nothing. Um, so I guess I got the values, you know, my, that my mom instilled in me. Um, but I was also like, I knew that that wasn't my life. Like that wasn't where I was supposed to be. Interesting
0: that, cause I have, I've ha- have heard people express that, um, that notion and feeling of like not being from the place that they are born in. And usually it's that, you know, that teenage feeling of restlessness or whatever, but that, that was, that was something that you observed from a pretty early age yourself.
1: Yeah, I, I was, yeah, I, I, didn't, I've never felt, I never fit in when I was there. Um, so yeah, I knew that, uh, yeah, I knew that that was not the place I was going to be. That was not the lifestyle I was going to like settle into. And, you know, I was just kind of always not a weird kid, you know, weird to them, not to me. You know, I was always an outcast. I was always a little bit different. Um, But it was nice, you know, growing up in a small town in some ways because I learned manners. I learned, you know, I learned things that not saying that a city kid would have wouldn't have. But you just it's a completely different lifestyle growing up in like in New York City versus Cambridge, Ohio. You know, it's just a it's just a completely different vibe. But I never fit in with that sort of I never fit in with those people. But I was able to live with those people.
0: Totally. Yeah. I, I do think that you hit on something that I think everybody needs to experience, not only from the you know traveling and getting outside of your own world that you experience on a day to day basis. But I I think that people do need to spend time in, you know, smaller rural communities, you know, in the country and all those, you know, kind of experiences that, you know, people realize that it is important. But I I don't think the level of importance is placed on it just to see where it's like, oh, yes, like not only is this extremely different from, um, you know, even like smaller cities where it's just like Mm -hmm. typical suburb living is completely different than, you know these, these small towns that are littered throughout the Midwest where it's just like, Oh yeah, we got a one stoplight and you know, you want to do something, you hang out at the local, you know, dairy queen or whatever.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, people, so I, people aren't going to like communities like that because the, the destination isn't, there's not a lot to do. That's why people go to cities, but um, you know, from touring, like when you play these little tiny towns, places that you would never, ever go to, but they're all kind of the same. They're just The, the geography is different. The people are kind of the same though, but yeah, without touring, I don't think I would have even visited as many of those little towns as I, you know, became an adult, you know, um, but it's nice. It's something to experience. I can't say I love it, but I still appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you like it enough to, you know, still stay relatively anchored to, you know, Ohio as a, as a base of operations for you. So, um, and so what was your family structure like growing up? I mean, it sounds like your your mom was obviously present just from what you were saying. Um, but, you know, brothers and sisters, what did the household look like?
1: Um, my, my parents divorced when I was like two or three. So I lived with my mom um, all of my life. I spent my summers with my dad. And he remarried when I was maybe seven or eight. And she, his wife had uh, two girls and a boy. And then they had another girl together. So I ended up with three stepsisters and a stepbrother, and we were all two years apart. Um, So whenever I would go spend my summers there, spend the holidays, whatever, you know, that was my, they were my brothers and sisters and, you know, and still are, I don't see them a lot these days, but, um, a couple of them I still talk to like via the internet every now and then, and they'll come see shows whenever they can, but um, but yeah, it was just me and my mom in the house. Um, no, you know, so I had a half sister, but I never lived with them for more than like you know a month at a time.
0: Sure. And was that, what age were you when those um, step siblings were introduced to your life?
1: Uh, I, like I said, I think they got married when I was anywhere from, I don't know, seven to nine, okay. something like, that. you know, I was, I was young. Sure. So when I was a teenager, you know, as I was, coming up and growing up, I did have, you know, for that time that was with my dad in the summer, I did have like, you know, kids around, you know, I I did have a little family thing going on and then I would go back to my mom's and it was just back into like my friends, you know? Sure. Sure. Was Was like an only child, you know, and I am an only child. Like that's how I classify myself because I was with my mom, you know, 10 to 11 months out of the year. Totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It it is weird when you get thrown into that scenario of the, um, you know, here's these, these people who are your, you know, step siblings. And, you know, I mean, as a kid you're stoked because you're like, Oh cool. Like I get to play with them and stuff like that. Um, but then yeah, like the, the familial notion of that is, is it's hard to wrap your head around, um, as a kid where it's like, I I'm related to them, but sort of not. And sort of, I mean, clearly that's why it's a step sibling, but (laughs) it's just weird.
1: And I think, I think when we were all younger, um, we connected a lot more because, you know, when you're young, you're a little bit more pure and you know, you haven't like, you haven't found yourself. So like everything just kind of accepting of everything. Then as I got older and I started like separating because I was like, I'm not like them at all. Like they're, it's just, we're just not the same. And, and that's when I noticed like, Oh, okay. I don't really click with them the same way I did when I was little. So my time hanging out with them did, you know, kind of fade away just because there wasn't a lot in common in our in our common denominator was the fact that, you know, is my father.
0: Yeah, for sure. That makes total sense. Uh, and so kind of like you mentioned, you always felt, um, you know, a little, little on the outside looking in and not really, uh, you know, feeling like you had your solid group of peers. I mean, like you mentioned, you had friends and everything like that. Um, what element of that was it just because of like the stuff that you were into or was it just kind of like who you were as like a person that you felt like you were, <laughs> you know, you weren't, you weren't like the rest of, uh, the peers
1: uh it was more about i mean if i had lived in like as you know if i had lived where i live now in Dayton Ohio it would have been completely normal you know i mean i guess um you know i was i started skateboarding when i was you know young i was like riding BMX bikes and like listening to like hair metal when i was you know a, a kid like 9 10 and but as i got older i just became i knew that um, you know the alternative appealed to me, and that was not really a thing where I lived. So there were very few kids um, who were like me. So I just, you know, I like, like for example, when I was playing basketball in junior high, I got made fun of because I wore my skateboard shoes instead of like wearing Nikes. And I was like, well, I'm going to go skateboard after the game. So this is I'm a convenient thing. Yeah, me now. And, uh, and it was just that thing. I'm like, Oh, I'm not, I guess I'm not a jock. Like I'd rather go skateboard. And all of my jock friends were just like, you know, they said the, you know, the F word. And I'm like, okay, time to quit playing basketball for you guys. And I'm going to go ride my skateboard and actually hang out with the five kids that I do connect with. So it was never that I felt like, I mean, I always felt different, but I just think that was the product of the small town I was in. And the fact it was like 88 you know like the the subculture had never made its way there and still has not made its way to those towns yeah i,
0: <laughs> I know it is funny to think about that <laughs> where i mean clearly the you know internet uh, has rocketed uh, everything into you know everyone's hands and and homes and everything like that but there are still so many wide swaths of not only the world but america that you know just don't like even if you have all of those access points it doesn't mean that you'll actually be able to find that access point. Like you need to know what to Google in order to get it. Sure. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I I guess on that topic, like how did you get kind of, you know, intro to subculture? I mean, it sounds like skateboarding was, was kind of, you know, I mean that's many people's entry points, but it sounds like that was one of yours.
1: Yeah. um, Like I said, I was riding BMX bikes, so I was getting like the BMX magazines. And then I probably found like a Thrasher or a Transworld. And one of my friends did have like a, you know, like a generic skateboard and I always liked riding it around. I had like a penny board and I would like bomb hills on that and stuff. So skateboarding was always kind of there. But yeah, it was, it was 100% like either a skateboard magazine or, you know, one of the videos, um, like that is like I had these two videos that I they're like called Skateboard Superstars, and it was like Christian Hussoy and I think Tony Hawk. It was like a lot of the POW and like Santa Cruz guys. It wasn't like a a team video, but it was whatever. Sure. And um I remember specifically hearing Coolidge by the descendants on that video and I was like, Oh my god, what is this? And that was kind of that was the moment where I was like, Okay, I found the music. And uh and you know, but yeah, skateboarding and we had this, strangely enough, for a small town. We had this, um, like a VHS rental, you know, like a video rental place, which, you know, most people don't even know anymore. But the guy got skateboard videos and he got all of them. Like he got every Pal Peralta, every Santa Cruz video. And if we requested something, he'd order it and, like, actually buy it to rent out to us.
0: <laughs> That's which, amazing. And, th- and those films were not. You know, I mean, whatever they were, you know, thirty or forty right. bucks, but still, yeah,
1: at least. But I mean, he, I mean, we rented them every single week. Like the as soon as somebody had to take it back, somebody else in our group rented it. So he made his money back from that. But just the fact that he was so cool, and I mean, the the fact that he had won, that kind of started it all. Um, but really, like the like that's how I got turned on to SST catalog was through um, the Santa Cruz, like streets on fire or wheels of fire. I don't know which one it has of, and but like streets of fire and wheels of fire, those two videos like turned me on to all the SST stuff. And that's really kind of what sparked the whole, you know, really diving into, to the punk and sure. Hardcore at kind the of scene.
0: I, I love that. I mean, because everybody definitely has that sort of, uh, you know, uh, curator, gatekeeper, whatever label you want to put on that experience where it is a person who, uh, you know, is just kind of like either stocking stuff or showing you stuff or, you know, introducing you to books. And like, you know, people have so many, you know, jumping off points, but I always love that pure distillation of when people are first getting into the thing and when you do have that access point. And to be honest, I haven't heard the, you know, the, the video store employee, usually it's like, you know, uh, a random record store or whatever, but like the video sure. store employee, like that's a, it, it's the same exact concept as, you know, a person at a record store, playing cool records for you. They're just like, Oh yeah, well the, the, these kids are continually writing this. So like, uh, I'm making money off this. So yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I'm just going to order as many videos as I possibly can supply and demand.
1: Well, you know, it's, and here's another thing too is, um, so I grew up in a very, my mother was very Christian so there were, I was not allowed to listen to anything secular, like no rock music, no, like all of it was kind of a no, no. So when I watched these videos, a lot of times I had to watch with the sound down or like watch them at a friend's house. But we did have a record store on in that town when I was, you know, like my early teens. And I remember going in there and they had like a punk and metal section But I knew that I could never buy that stuff. So I had the record store employee that if I would have been able to go in and buy whatever I want and say, recommend me something, I could have dove really deep into stuff. But not being able to like actually like, you know, having to like hide all of my tapes or like you know, I had to put them in a box under my bed. And then when I, when she did bust me, it was like, I got grounded for a month.
0: Right. Yeah. So no, I love, so. I love that. You had to surreptitiously do that where it's just like, yeah, I'm into these skate videos without her knowing that this, yeah. the music was impacting you at a really deep level.
1: Oh, when she heard wasted by black flag. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be the part where he says F, the F word. I'm like shoot well this video is over <laughs> this is done. she's yeah. like what did he say i was like mom it's, it's just music in a skateboard video i was like i'll watch it with the sound down <laughs>
0: dude I, I love those like kid logic compromises where you're just like yeah this is not what i care about even though you're like taking copious notes on every band that's played oh, I, re-
1: I put up a boom box to the tv and recorded everything <laughs> that's was, so good that was my soundtrack
0: <laughs> that's amazing Support for today's show and, frankly, support for my life comes from Sonos. They are the best speakers in the game, and they meticulously design every speaker from the inside out. They're experts in acoustics and engineering, even work with Oscar and Grammy-winning producers, mixers, and artists to ensure an immersive listening experience. Getting started is, like, the easiest thing ever. You just plug your speaker in, open the app, and then connect all your favorite streaming services. You start with one speaker and you can build more into your home. You can also connect your TV or turntable to listen to everything that you love. And they all work together seamlessly so you can customize your own sound system. Now, I cannot tell you how much I love Sonos. Before they even came on this very show to hook, us, hook me up with a Play 5, which was... The easiest thing ever to set up in less than five minutes, you are streaming music to whatever room you're setting it up in. And I was able to connect my play five with an older model that I had. And I'm able to hook it up in my son's room where he was like, Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. I can listen to music while you are listening to a different song downstairs. It is awesome. Like I I used to just be like, okay, well, you know, when I'm not in my office and I'm downstairs working, I'm just going to listen to my music on my computer. But now that I'm porting it over to my speaker, I am listening to more music than I ever have before, which sounds even, that sounds crazy to me, but it is the absolute God's honest truth. So I love it so much. And you need to go to Sonos.com to learn more, but their devices are absolutely incredible. I recommend it for anybody who is a lover of music, who's a lover of sound, to dive into Sonos. Okay. Please do that up and your life will be better. Okay. Sonos.com to learn more. It's, so then as you started to kind of, you know, uh, develop your, your passion for music and then, you know, the, the idea of like you wanting to play in a band hit immediately, or was that something that you had to kind of, um, you know, work? I mean, clearly you had to work your way up just as far as, you know, your probably your age and all that sort of stuff, but did you want to play in a band immediately?
1: Uh, I started playing drums when I was two. Like I got a little drum kit when I was two that I just, you know, thrashed on. I didn't play. I just hit it. But when I was around, I don't know, say eight or nine playing baseball, whatever I just had. I remember I made all these like elaborate drum kits out of like boxes and like um, just anything metal that I could hit for cymbals. And I would create these massive drum kits and then I would play in my house along to like whatever my mom was listening to. And then I do remember like carrying them to my friend's house and I would set them up in, in his backyard and he would like put on a record or whatever, like Jay Giles band or something. And I would just play along to it. So the performing thing and being a drummer, I've, it's always been in me. Um, but I started playing in the church band when I was 12 or 13 just because i wanted to play drums in front of people and so it yeah it's, it's always been there i just don't think that i really took it super seriously or even really started practicing until i hit maybe like 15 or 16 that's when i feel like i just kind of got it and like i had performed in front of people so i knew how to like play um but yeah it's always been there got it got it
0: and, and I do like that. Uh, I'm going to presume the, the strain of, uh, religion that you were involved like Christianity, some version of it that you were involved in.
1: Yeah. It was a Pentecostal church.
0: Oh, okay. Yes. Yes. That's very, very, very typical Midwest. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Um, and, I mean, and I'm guessing that too, because obviously with the, you know, the, the secular music and all that sort of stuff. So, um, the and i know that uh you know you've been you know public about the fact like i mean you're you're straight edge and i know that you have um you didn't arrive at that when you were you know whatever 15 16 years old that's something that you know you arrived at later in life and i know that you had uh struggles with addiction and stuff like that or maybe i'm just conflating what you were going through in regards to that um can you talk to me a little bit about that cuz you know usually I mean, I saw someone tweeting about this the other day where it's just like, you know, if you're if you're over the age of 21, you don't need to call yourself straight edge anymore. It's just like, well, no, that's not I don't agree with that. But um, that's true. But there are you know, there are people that live in that camp where it's like, oh, you're an adult, like you don't need to call yourself straight edge. And it's like, you know, clearly both you and I feel differently about that. But um, yeah, kind of, you know, walk me through how that sort of, you know, straight edge entered your life and, you know, how it obviously impacted you for the positive.
1: It hit me at a point like where, I mean, so when I was, you know, say 16, I I'd try, actually I was drinking alcohol and smoking cigarettes way younger than that. Probably 13, maybe even 12. Like, you know, my dad drank and my mom drank when I was, she drank a little bit when I was younger. She'd have like wine every now and then, and, but she smoked until she like, uh, got saved. So, like, you know, when I was a kid, I was like taking drags off of her cigarettes at like eight, nine years old. <laughs> But but smoking, just like taking drags, I was like, I was, she's like, bring me my cigarettes. Anyway. Right, right, right. uh, But like the small town thing, I always said I started getting high and getting drunk because I was bored. And that's probably like, I don't think, I mean, maybe it's true. Maybe I was just looking for something. But once I found it, I really enjoyed getting high. Like I just really liked it. But that was like, what our life consisted of. Like we would go skateboard and like smoke weed, drink, whatever we were going to do. And then as I got older, as I graduated high school, I graduated on to other things. And then, so I just spent, you know, my twenties, the most of my twenties in this haze of like my priorities were completely out of whack. You know, I was still playing music. I was still like putting out records with punk bands and hardcore bands and whatever, but my focus was just about drugs and drugs. And I joined a band here in Dayton with two guys who were straight edge and a lot of my friends, like all the guys at the tattoo shop are straight edge. So I started getting this like I went from a negative view on Straight Edge because I came up in the metalcore, you know, kind of scene where it was there was a lot of violence. There was a lot of just a lot of G- negative judgment. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I was my band or the, the punk band or the, or the hardcore band I was in at the time. Two of us had dreads. We were all drug addicts and we played more like AFI, like early AFI style hardcore. And we just didn't really fit in, but we were like, well, this is part of our scene. And I just remember like every hardcore straight edge band hated us because they're like, you guys are drug addicts. Like, well, yeah, but we still play music and we're a decent band. We just want to play these shows together. So shortly after that, I joined another band with two straight edge guys. And I started just to see like, oh, I really like these people. And seeing them and their community of straight edge friends, Mm -hmm. it just kind of really changed like how I was viewing straight edge as a whole. And then personally, I kind of hit, I just hit rock bottom as far as my drug use went just like a three day waking up and going like, oh my God, what, what have I just done to myself that I just paid for? And, uh, <laughs> dude,
0: that's so I, you, I mean, people share those stories, but then the, the button on it, it is the fact, yeah, like you are literally paying yourself to like, not remember yeah. like, yeah, just days of your life. But yeah, that's very true. I just hadn't yeah. heard it expressed that way.
1: So yeah, it was, uh, September 23rd, 2003. I just woke up and I was like, all right. And I actually just marked an X on my calendar because I always keep a calendar by my desk. And that was the day I quit like everything and there was no like cold turkey. No, back. I was pretty good. Like I was pretty lucky in the fact that when I was using and I mean like using, you know, heavy, heavy drugs, if I wanted to quit when I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. I just stopped like I didn't have to go through any sort of recovery. So I got really lucky in that aspect. I'm very addictive, but I'm also really able to turn it off when I, but I have to hit the bottom, you know? And I did. Sure. Sure. So, it, so a year, a year after that, like on my one year anniversary of being sober, I claimed straight edge. And so now we're looking at, um, what? 16 years. Okay. I guess. Sure. Yeah. Sure.
0: And, so, and you, uh, and you, like you mentioned, you have, you know, an 18 year old son. And so it, it sounds like your son was, was pretty young towards the tail end of you, you know, kind of like you said, bottoming out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and really like I I tell him, I'm like, I'm alive today because of you without you in my life probably wouldn't have, I would have never stopped because I, I never had anything to like look at. Like, you know, I looked at him and I'm like, if I was really, really high and just kind of being an asshole, I'm like, Oh, my kid's here. And I just, he's crying and I'm like getting pissed off at him. Like he's a child, he's a baby. He's supposed to cry. Like he can't communicate. And, uh, so it was just a wake up call. Like, okay, I have to be, I have to be a father to this, to this little human. And I can't do it if I'm completely messed up every single day of my life.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a heavy, uh, I mean, you know, parenting is not so like, you know, so many people and I'm sure you've had similar discussions where it's not like, people wake up one day, you know, in a relationship. And then all of a sudden they're like, you know what? Yeah, actually today is the day that I feel ready to have a child. Like no one's ready. Like you can be ready from a, I have a job, I have a place for this child to live or whatever, but Mm -hmm. no one's like waking up being mentally prepared for the thing. Um, And so, you know, it's, 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 I, I like your perspective of, you know, it, this, this brought life into focus in a very real way where you had to not only change your behavior, but, you know, change the way that you, you viewed most things. And, um, you know, not a lot of people have the ability to kind of focus on that in a real way. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's really cool that you're able to not only like recognize that in yourself, but then to be able to express that to your child to be just like, Oh yeah, like you, you legitimately saved my life.
1: Yeah. And yeah. And he knows it. Like I tell him a lot. And, but you know, cause he's, he'll be 18 in July. He claimed straight edge when he was 13. And when he did it, I was kind of like, are, are you sure? And I'm like, uh, I don't really know. Then I was like, you know what? Like, that's, that's not my decision to make. I was like, you do your thing. I was like, you, you understand it. You've grown up with it your whole life. And you've also grown up with addictive parents. So you might not remember that, but you do know that we struggled. So, um, so, you know, anytime he asked me, you know, or, you know, he's got some friends that are kind of following his example and quitting smoking or, you know, like cutting back on their drinking. And you can just, you can see the influence, uh, on his friends through him. And when he brings up straight edge, I'm always like, you know, you were the, you were the light at the end of like the tunnel that I saw, like, okay, I have to change my life. Sure. For, sure. No, for me, but, so i can be there for you.
0: Yeah, totally. It's this it's like this cyclical support system that, you know, was was never intended to be as such, but uh it was and it's a, you know, it frankly it's a beautiful thing. I just that's that was the reason why i asked it because i just see such a um not only a, a genuine expression of love between a father and a son, but then the uh, the idea that this is rooted in everything what you're talking about is just really really cool. So um kind of shifting gears to the idea of um, uh, because you, you've been playing in Hawthorne now for what, like, I mean, I know you did like session stuff like in the, you know, whatever the tens, I guess they call it 2010, 2012, like that era. But then you joined from a more like touring and active member of the band. Like it's like 2017 ish roughly. Uh,
1: I started playing with him in fourteen, twenty fourteen.
0: 2014. Okay. Got it. Got it.
1: I, I was the tour manager and merch guy from like I started, probably started in 2009, 2010, did a couple of like tours, went over to Europe with them. And then, um, I kind they were really busy. Like they were always on the road and I was kind of like, Hey, I have to take, I have to take a break. Like I need, I need a break. Um, I'm not seeing my kid. So, but in 13, they did warp tour and the drummer called me and he's like, Hey, you want to go on warp tour and tour manage and drum tech? And I was like, Sure. And then, um, that next spring he got an opportunity with like, you know, a business idea he had. And so he left the band and because I had been touring with them for so long and my guitar player in the story changes is also in Hawthorne. Um, they were kind of like, Hey, do you want to, you want to try out? I want to try out for drums. So I practiced with them once and I basically had the, the touring job essentially.
0: Got it. Got it. Um, and, and and since you've known those dudes for a while and you've kind of you know served a bunch of different uh, functions um, behind the band you know like all those roles you were just mentioning was it a pretty i guess easy transition for you to kind of step in as you know the drummer or was it one of those things where you were you know nervous and uh, didn't really know your place because yeah, i mean anytime it's kind of a, a hired gun scenario initially it's always like well at any time this could stop or whatever so what was your I guess what was your process like in kind of joining that up
1: well it was it was easy because i had already been playing with one of the guys in the band so we've been playing together for 15 years so our chemistry is good um i was still tour managing the band which i still am now so when we're on the road i'm still the the day-to-day guy on on the road so all I really did was just add in playing drums for 45 minutes to an hour a night. Like my role was kind of like, Oh, okay. Now I just get to play drums instead of like sitting at merch. So for me it was like, okay, this is great. Now the nervousness, um, that first tour, like I got jokingly fired when I, I go out to my, we go out to the bus and I get into my bunk and there's, it says plane ticket. And I was like, Oh my God. Cause I played horrible. I played so bad. And, uh, I like opened it up and it was just papers. There was nothing there, but I was like, they just fired me. And I was like, rightfully so. So we still joke about that. Like jacks I think it was Jacksonville, Florida. Um, but yeah, I played horribly. I was so nervous. And, uh, the only thing that's hard is the, the old drummer Aaron, we just play differently. So, I'm having I had to learn how to play um, his style, not my style. I think over the years I've kind of made the songs mine. Um, but, you know, you're basically coming in and learning songs that you didn't write. So sure. that was the only thing that was kind of a struggle. But now now I do. I do notice whenever I like listen to the songs, I'm like, OK, I play that differently. I play it how it feels to me but the song this you know the structure is still there and the integrity of the song still remains and that's that's the whole point of it but you know now that i'm like properly in the band everything we've since last year you know i'll be on the recordings and i'm doing like the writing with the guys so the songs sound like hawthorne heights with me playing drums versus me playing somebody else's parts
0: yeah oh it totally makes sense that's cool that's I just always know that that process is it, you know, it, it varies for people. And so, because you had this kind of like long ramp up time with the band, it just, you know, I was, I was curious about that, but, um, Yeah,
1: I can see it if you're literally, if you've never toured with a band and you're just like, okay, this is my job. You're always going to be wondering like, okay, I, what's happening after this. But but because I had been touring with them, it was just kind of like, okay, well now you're just on all the tours because you have to be. Yep. Totally. Totally. Yeah. because I, secu- to. I had security. It was pretty nice. Yeah, for
0: sure. Yeah. Like, well, if I don't do this on the tour, I s- I'll still be on the tour, just doing the thing that I normally do or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the, uh, the thing that I also find awesome is the fact that, uh, you know, about your, um, kind of, you know, dedication and just, uh, I don't know. Anytime you use, use the word perseverance, I, I sometimes feel that that is, um, you know pejorative in a way where it's just like oh perseverance where it's just like oh no one pays attention to the thing that you do so like you just keep doing it because you know you like it or whatever (laughs) i'm not saying that but like you know the story changes like that has been your baby since the inception and you've had you know uh working with friends on that over you know a very long period of time uh as you were you know because i mean the band essentially has existed for close to 20 years now right
1: uh it started in 2004 so Yeah. yeah we're we're doing some time
0: right right and so, and because of you, I mean, how much you change as a person, you know, over time, stylistically, and the music that you're into, um, it, it, you know, it, it just has to be interesting for you to kind of like t- still be able to put music out with this, and you know, still have people pay attention to this thing, albeit, you know, a smaller audience than you know Hawthorne Heights, but like it, it still is is a pretty interesting thing that you are experiencing. And I, I'm sure that, you know, I, there's no real question in this, but just the idea that this exists in this world where you, uh, you know, sensibly could just you know, not do it anymore, but you don't, <laughs> and you're so you're still excited about it, you know?
1: Yeah. Me and me and Mark, um, we talked about this, you know, years ago because he's been playing with Hawthorne for 10 years now. And so And then once I joined, it was like, okay, the story changes is going to slow down because Hawthorne's on the road so much, but we were kind of like, we're just going to do this. Even if it means we're just playing like our local like clubs or bars around town, you know, maybe once or twice a year, but we've, you know, for Mark, you know, he's the, he's the primary, he's the songwriter in the story changes. So it's nice for him to have that outlet where it's his own thing. You know, he's writing the lyrics, he's writing everything. And for me, I'm playing very similar. Cause it's, you know, the bands aren't like completely far removed. Um, but we were just kind of like, it's another outlet for us to like play music. And it's something that we've been doing for so long. That's, and it's really good. Like, why would we ever stop doing it? Even if we can't do it as much, we're still going to do it when we can. And, um, you know, but it's all kind of depending on how much stuff Hawthorne goes on because all of us in Hawthorne handle a lot of our, like me and our singer JT print all of our merch for the most part. Um, Mark handles like a lot of our design and like web, you know, social media stuff. So there's always something going on. So that kind of cuts into like, you know, the story changes time, but, We've been making it a point to like get together like every week. Okay. Let's just go, let's just go practice. Even if we just get together and just hang out and like play for a half an hour, we're just going to do that because we still love to do it. And you know, the songs that we, you know, it's just, we look back in our catalog and we love the music that we've put out there. And we just, we're going to keep doing it no matter what. And we just got back this morning from, uh, like a three-day run out to very small towns well we went to des moines iowa but we played two other small towns and it was great it was like so cool being back in that mindset again playing small shows but also just playing this music that we've been doing for so long and getting to revisit it again it's it's incredible so yeah yeah it's, it's it's gonna it's gonna keep going no matter what like unless you know it, it would be harder if like one of us moved away, then it would be like, okay, how do we do this? But, you know, we live a mile and a half from each other and our practice space is two miles from our home. So yeah, we would be silly not to do this. Sure. <laughs>
0: yeah, totally. You're like, as long as the enjoyment is there, we'll, we'll, we'll key into this
1: and it's very enjoyable,
0: right? Um, something that, uh, this isn't a difficult question to ask per se, but like, you know, Hawthorne Heights is a real easy target for people to make fun of, you know, as far as like, oh yeah, a band that, you know, was huge off, like, you know, really sappy lyrics back in the mid two thousands. And like, you know, there's a lot of jokes that can fly around about the band as far as like, oh, like they're still touring, like they're still relevant. Like so many of these things exist. Um, In the ecosystem. And, you know, of course I'm being a devil's advocate, kind of like, you know, hyperbolic in the way that I'm presenting it. But there, there's no way because I like, I mean, I know you the best out of everybody in the bunch, but like the, the, the guys to me have, I mean, they come from, you know, and you yourself included come from the the same world that we all do of the, you know, punk, hardcore DIY mentality. And so Mm -hmm. You know, to me, it's always been a, a, an unfair uh, labeling and characterization of you know, like yes, you cannot be a fan of Hawthorne Heights from a stylistic perspective, um, but you can't look at the humans behind it and you know, like call them posers or you know what, like just that that concept. I'm sure that that's something that you know, you you and the guys have had to uh, not only like. Uh, like consider on your own but sort of you know reckon with it and either decide to like you know embrace it in certain times move past it other times um or is that just something like I'm literally bringing up for the first time you never thought about
1: it <laughs> no come on i mean i know, I course, know. Like, <laughs> yeah like okay so we we know when you get down to it we're not an emo band we're not we know me and you and and the good majority emo is the mid nineties up to late nineties, like it's a, it's Texas is the reason sunny day. Sure. Uh, you know, it's like, those are the bands that we would have considered emo. And then the mainstream took, you know, the, the victory straight hair kind of thing and created that as like this new screamo emo thing. And, and that's the other thing. We're not a screamo band, but we've never, we've actually never embraced that label, but the emo thing, we embrace it but we also all know where it comes from. Like every single one of us went to like emo shows. Like we grew up with that stuff. We have those records. Like our bass player, Matt will will, like, you know, he'll carry the torch for mineral forever. But he was like, you know, that's a different thing. Like that's not what the mainstream sees it as. Um, but we're all very aware of, you know, the, the jokes like we're aware of our place in the scene but the fact of the matter is like there are still kids like who are coming to our shows and i'm just like you are 15 16 years old like is this still like applying to you like how do you know this stuff and it's sure. it's really crazy to see that but also you know we we get it. a lot of it is like the 26 27 year olds who want to come relive their high school days And that's totally fine by us too. Like if they're here, if they come to the show to hear Ohio for lovers, sounds good. We'll play it 12 times. If you really, really want that, (laughs) we'll just go on a tour where we play it 12 times because we know that song and Nikki FM are going to allow us to go tour the world. Like we went to New Zealand last year. We went to Mexico last year. Um, Actually, maybe that's been a year and a half to New Zealand, but Still like going to places like that and kinda of having me having it being based off of one song in particular, um who cares? Like I'm all about it. And I, you know, I never wrote anything with the band other than our last record. And even that, I just, you know, played drums on it. But, you know, JT his writing, I'm sure it's changed, but he never ever is like, I don't wanna play Ohio again. I don't want to play these songs like because they're not for us at this point they're for the person that's coming to the show or listening to it and whatever they get out of it that's that's theirs and we're just the vehicle that's giving it to them for the night so we're we're all for it yeah and And i
0: I, and i think it's it's (laughs) it's the the idea that um You know, the there there's never no one can ever chart their path in regards to the way that you know art resonates with people and music resonates with people, and so you know, like I'm sure if you know you sat down with all the rest of the guys in your band and be like. Oh, like, you know, would you have wished your career went differently? Like, you know, maybe it was like a slower growth as opposed to like, you know, the first record (laughs) out of the gate or whatever. And then you had to like, you know, uh, wrestle with that as you continued along. It's like no one could predict that. But like like you said, once it's out there and once people it'd be a different story if, you know, the people that came to your shows Um, you know only kind of wanted one thing or another and like yes of course there's a large contingent that you know only wants those those songs or whatever but you know the fact that you are putting up music and you are uh, being relevant to people who are just finding out about the band you know because of all of those reasons that you're talking about and it's like that that's still that's incredibly important and the fact that you can still be there to uh, give people a new experience is you know is incredibly important
1: too and, that, and that's the great thing. It's like the fact of the matter is that because I've been, you know, I, I knew the bands before they were signed. I knew the band before they were Hawthorne. Like I, I saw the growth. I saw the beginnings. And, but to be with them coming into their world at a time where I don't, I mean, they were on a label at the time, but like things just kept happening with the, the album would come out and then something would happen with the label. There was just all these like, you know, things that were just going wrong that were out of their control. So I kind of got in at not a dark time, but at a downtime, you know, where thing we ever it was very DIY. Um but but then over the years I'm like, oh okay, I'm seeing the shows there's more kids at every show. Like every tour that that we go out on it's a little bit better than the last one. And then now it's like, Oh, we have all these opportunities coming up. Like our new record did, you know, our last record did really well. And it's still like, we still have stuff coming out for it. And it's like, okay, so there's this, there's just been this growth again and it's really cool to see it. And it's just like, okay, we still get to do this, but we get to still continue to make music, not just play stuff from our past, but like, we're getting to like the opportunity to make new music and put new records out there. And, and you're right. And give the people that do like our band uh, a, a new version of whatever they might have felt the first time around yeah. or, or for the kids that are just now, I mean, there's, there's definitely kids who are just now hearing us for the very first time hearing like our new record and that's their entry point, And they're just like, cool this is great this like you know it hits me wherever it is
0: right totally yeah it's really really cool Mm -hmm. um the last two things i want to hit on was the um you know like you mentioned you you know you do all the screen printing for you know hawthorne and you know you've been how long have you been screen like in the screen printing business as it were
1: 15 years
0: okay yeah so it sounds like you have been doing this for for a long time
1: yeah, like the story changes, you know, the other band, uh, that was the reason why I started printing. I was just like, well, I mean, I did it for like my punk bands before that a little bit, but when I got into the story changes, it was kind of like, Hey, I can, can do this thing. And we were touring so much. I was like, well, so I just, you know, DIY it for a very long time and just learned how to, you know, create shirts. I was creating a really simple things, but but yeah, it was, you know, it was like that necessity of like, well, let's, instead of paying somebody four to $7, let's just pay me nothing and I'll just print them for free and we'll make more money that way.
0: Sure. Sure. And so like, as you started to do that, did you kind of, uh, I mean, clearly you have some passion for it as you've been doing it for a, a long time. Um, you know, did, did you like enjoy it immediately or was that something that you were kind of like, well, this is just out of necessity. I don't necessarily enjoy it, but does I'm just doing yeah. this?
1: No, I loved doing it. Like I, I learned how to do it when I was in this punk rock band and my guitar player, she taught me how to like actually like make a screen and everything. And I loved it, but I started doing it more on a, you know, I tried to start getting like equipment and stuff like that and doing it a little bit more professionally out of necessity, but I loved it. And then once, you know, as I got better, like once I learned a new skill, like I still like, I geek out so hard over, like I go up to shirts and feel them. I'm like, okay, like how do they print this? Like I'm always looking at it and I have quite a few like screen printer friends around the country and I'll just be like, I'll just call them and just talk about screen printing. Like I'm so fascinated with it. The only thing I wish I could do, I wish I was a better artist. Like I'm not a designer or an artist. So I don't get to just print stuff at like my own, you know, will I just, I take clients artwork and print that. And a lot of times I'm like manipulating their artwork, which is really fun. Um, but I like, I like seeing a digital file become a reality, like a tangible thing that you can hold or wear. It's really cool.
0: Yeah. It's really, it's something tangible. Like you said, it's really cool. Um, and then the the last thing was the, you know, kind of treads on water we've already sort of dipped into where, you know, you were talking about the fact that, uh, you know, your, your son's in a hardcore straight edge, like, you know, goes to shows with you. And, you know, you guys really ping pong off of each other. Um, how I guess how was that kind of like evolution? Because, you know, clearly most kids reach a point where they're like like my parents aren't cool. Like whatever they're into, like, I have to, you know, not be into, you know, um, like, did you ever experience that? Or like, what was the evolution with that? Um, and were you not saying you were forceful where you're like, you know, upon age seven, you get gorilla biscuits start today or whatever, but like, you know, how did that process kind of like go for you?
1: Um, so when he was younger, I mean, just, there's always been music in the house. And so I would just play him music Uh, But when he was like six or so, you know, Santa Claus got him a computer and Santa Claus just happened to have a really good taste in music. So there was just all this stuff preloaded onto his computer when, you know, when he got it and he kind of just listened to that on his own. But it was, you know, stuff from my collection. And then he just kind of stayed in that like world where he He liked what I was listening to, or I would just play stuff in the car all the time, and he just kind of gravitated towards it. Um, but I took him to his first show when he was like seven or eight. It was, uh, he was he loved, loved Strike Anywhere, and they were playing like they did like a Bridge Nine tour, and I took him to that show. And he loved Dag Nasty. Like that was like, those were like his first two favorite bands. So he kind of like gravitated towards punk pretty early on through me, but he found, you know, he found a place there. Um, so he started going to shows and just kind of really embraced it. And I was like, okay, at some point he's, he's changing, he's going to get out of this. But he's been skateboarding, you know, all of his life kind of thing. You know, since he was seven, he's been riding a skateboard. So I think it just kind of that was I mean, if you see him and you see me together, people always think we're brothers like they never think we're father and son. But like he is he's me. He's just a younger version of myself. Um, But he has recently like I noticed, you know, as he's almost 18, sometime like his change in music, he started getting into like the beat down, like hardcore. He started like actually moshing. And I've like, I've never moshed a day in my life. Like I'll do dog piles and like finger, I'll just point my finger at some singer's face and scream lyrics at him. But like, you know, the moshing thing is just never, I don't get it. Like I still don't get it. And that's like his thing. He's like all about that. And, uh, and I was like, okay, here's where he's breaking away from me. Like he's into like, Super heavy, like hardcore bands, which I'm also into, but that's not my like main, that's not my main focus in hardcore. That's not my main love. Um, so it's kind of strange cause he is, he is finding his own path. Finally but it's still it still lines up with what i'm you know into
0: right well and you have a context for it you're like you know it's not like he's you know bringing home this like completely alternate universe for you where you're like i don't even know what world this is it's like not exactly
1: right (laughs) like i always said i'm like okay so wow how's he gonna like break away it's like maybe he'll get into like maybe he'll be a juggalo and i was like i even get that like so yeah what
0: what is it what is gonna surprise me yeah and sometimes it's just like well nothing well so that that's cool yeah (laughs) there's hope there
1: yeah it's really strange i mean he didn't he didn't go like down a sports path he didn't you know he basically what but i but i love it like i know that i'm still cool in his eyes even though i'm not but like when he's like, Hey, do you want to go? You want to go to the, like he asked me, he's like, Hey, do you want to go to the candy show with me? And I was like, dude, I'm sorry. I have to work. I was like, but thank you for like asking me to go to a show with you. Um, I was like, but do you have, you have a ride, right? And he's like, yeah, I was like, okay. So he asked me to go to shows with him and his friends. And I think that's super cool that they're like, yeah. My, my dad can still hang out. It's fun. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. also used to me for my connections too, I'm sure, but that's yeah, still, that's fine. That doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what you're here for. <laughs> that's great.
0: Um, and this actually is the last thing where, you know, because you've toured in so many different iterations as far as like, you know, working on, on, on staff and a crew with the band and then, you know, playing in a band, um, and then playing, you know, like the, just the weekend you just did with story changes. Um, what is your relationship like with touring now is it something that you still like look forward to, or is it just kind of, you know, part of the package that you've signed up for, or what's your relationship like?
1: Um, I do love it. Like I had a great time this weekend. Okay. So let's just say I love touring. I absolutely love it. But the idea, like last year, Hawthorne did, um, four months straight, we had a, we had a like seven to eight days off, which I went back out on the road and like went to hardcore shows. So I didn't even really take a break. Four months is too long. Like I just want to be more selective about what we do. You know, like when somebody offers you a tour, when it's a support tour and you're just like, well, that sounds great. How do you say no to that? You know, cause the, the length of time is out of your hands. um, So when it comes to that, it's kind of like, oh, my God, this is going to be we're going to be gone for so long. But we understand the opportunity is there and it's going to be great for for us just to go play for new people, you know, and and to be with our friends, whatever it is. Like, I love it. But this year I'm so excited because we've been home for a while and our next tour is only like maybe two weeks long. And I could not be happier about that. Like, it'll be short. We'll come home. We'll do it again. We'll come home for a while. So I think, you know, as, as we get older, like, you know, the other JT, you know, his daughter is 10 or 11, maybe 12, you know, she's maybe even a little bit older than that, but like, you know, he's missed a lot of his, a lot of her time. And for me, like as my, if when my son leaves the house, maybe I'll just be like, okay, I just want to stay on tour all the time, but I'm trying to like be with him this last you know year or two while he's still home with me. Um, but I, but I do love touring. Like, I mean, think about it. like everybody that we know is through music and touring for the most part. And that's where you go see your friends. Like, you know, tour is about, playing the shows, but really it's about going to hang out with your friends for X amount of time on the road. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's like, ah, they, they keep touring with the same bands. It's like, well, they obviously get along really well and they're friends and they just want to go see their friends while they do this thing. So for, for those that don't understand that, I think that's a lot of like the package tours that happen. And granted there's behind the scenes things that happen, but you go tour with bands that you really Connect with personally because you're away from home and you want that, you need those people. Like you need them as a support system.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's yeah, the, you need them to be your your uh, family away from family or home away from home or whatever you want to call exactly. it. It's like, yeah, you want that that yeah. familiarity for sure. So, yeah. well, Chris, we we did it. I appreciate you uh, being so open and honest and uh, yeah, I- enjoying this experience. So, thank you very much, dude.
1: I love it. Thank you very much for having me
0: right Thank you very much, Chris, for hanging out. And it, thank you very much for hanging out in Cincinnati, too. I appreciate that. Um, it was uh, just a great time. So it's always nice to get to know people on multiple different levels and not just to hang out with them once on the microphone because sometimes that happens here. And um, actually, I always say, um, and this is true because there are many times where uh, you know I don't know the person, but in the future, I'm able to meet up with them later. And I've been able to form some pretty cool friendships based off of that where it's like oh yeah we had a really nice conversation for an hour and um yeah you revealed some stuff to me that you know you might not reveal to everybody and i appreciate that so anyways it's uh it's just nice i love the human connection because I, I feel like you the listener can also bring that to these people who i have on the show where it's like if you go up to them and are like hey i listened to your episode of 100 words podcast and you know i really liked this thing you said or this really impacted me you would be surprised to hear how uh, much people remember <laughs> these conversations like there are interviews I've done you know whatever five years ago where I still get either emails about or I have communications with the actual person who I interviewed and they're like man that was like one of the most um, you know fun interviews I did or whatever and I'm not tooting this show's own horn per se but I am tooting the human connection aspect of it I, I love that fact so anyways that's a little little, little digression there but Next week, like I always do on, on every Wednesday, even though I will be on vacation, but uh, I am bringing this episode. It's oh, so excited about this one. James Bullock, who uh, is commonly known as Human Furnace from Ringworm, the classic legendary Cleveland metal hardcore band. He came on the show and uh, I'm not going to lie. I was a little intimidated. I was like, I don't really know how I'm going to approach this interview. But we were able to roll up our sleeves and, uh, you know, develop a little bit of a a texting friendship before we we hopped on the the good old interwebs to talk. And it was a great conversation. So that is what I got next week. Just a reminder, today's show, of course, is brought to you by Sonos. And if you do not own a Sonos speaker, you need to go to Sonos.com to find out more. They are unbelievable. You set up these speakers within moments. You are able to listen to music on your favorite streaming service, your turntable, your TV, whatever it is. It is so easy, and I love them so much because of it. They just make your listening experience so much better. And you can tune it all over your house. It's just, it's the best, okay? Go to Sonos.com to learn more. Thank you, Sonos. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.